Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change with your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and Daily Antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. It is finally Friday. That's right. It's Friday, May 12th. And today is International MECFS Awareness Day. It's also National Fibromyalgia Awareness Day, National Sapphire Segula Day, National Odometer Day, because I guess they want to track your miles because they want to track everything, International Nurses Day because nurses are important too, National Provider Appreciation because if you're a provider, you definitely should be appreciated and don't forget to tag your sponsor today. It's also National Limerick Day, National Military Spouse Appreciation Day. And Gretchen, that's right. We have some dessert for you tonight. That's right, because it is National Nutty Fudge Day. Yeah. Thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. You can find that fancy little QR code right there in the top-hand corner of your screen to find out where we live on the Internet. And we're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube and audio only on Clubhouse. And if you are joining us in Clubhouse, you can also participate in the show by raising your hand if you have a brief comment on the story most recently presented. But today, we're going to switch it up. We're going to let the ladies go first. That's right. We have the feisty redheaded conservative that loves to tell all the pot-loving libs all about themselves and make them all go home crying and whining. That is right. She's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insider. That's right. It is Gretchen Gailey. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon. My headline today is coming from Marijuana Moment. Uh, U.S. Senate Committee holds marijuana banking hearing. A key U.S. Senate committee convened on Thursday to discuss marijuana banking issues and bipartisan legislation that seeks to resolve the industry's unique financial challenges. Members of the Senate Banking Committee didn't take any votes at the hearing, which was titled Examining Cannabis Banking Challenges of Small Businesses and Workers. But a focal point was the Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act, otherwise known as Safe Banking. Senators Jeff Merkley and Steve Daines refiled the measure last month, and they were among those who testified at the committee hearing. Other witnesses included representatives of the Cannabis Regulators of Color Coalition, United Food and Commercial Workers International Union, DAMA Financial, and Smart Approaches to Marijuana. The cannabis landscape looks far different than it did a few short years ago, according to Banking Committee Chairman Sherrod Brown. He said in his opening remarks, cannabis has been legalized or decriminalized in almost every state. States and localities have established licensing and social equity programs to ensure that small businesses and communities impacted by the war on drugs are part of the growing legal cannabis industry. Banking, of course, is critical for small 
small cannabis businesses who already face hurdles getting their businesses off the ground. I'm glad we're building on the progress we've made over the years. I look forward to continuing these conversations. Ranking member Tim Scott said that each member represents different states with different marijuana laws. And I understand that some of us may be in very different places when it comes to the legality of marijuana. As a former small business owner, I understand and appreciate the importance of having that relationship with your financial institution. A banking relationship is crucial to providing safety and stability for a company's employees and the customers it serves. But he also raised concerns that legislation could create loopholes in our money laundering laws, making it harder to catch criminals that traffic weapons, fentanyl, and even people. Merkley, the bill's lead Democratic sponsor, said at the hearing that our federal law has not kept pace with American changing attitudes towards cannabis, nor with changing laws at the state and local level. That failure has denied legitimate businesses the ability to access the same banking necessity as every other business, whether it is access to banking and credit card accounts, payroll services, and more, because depository institutions and credit unions are worried that they may be threatened with prosecution under federal law. They have largely refused to work with the industry, so three-quarters of the cannabis economy operates entirely in cash. He said that this bill would promote public safety, support small businesses, respect states' rights, and mitigate the risk of money laundering. Danes, the lead Republican sponsor, stated in his testimony by noting that a spike in crime targeting state-licensed marijuana business in Washington state, and he said the Safe Banking Act would help address a major cause of this increase. He argued that the reform would increase tax compliance while also enabling law enforcement to more effectively distinguish legitimate businesses from illegal operators. The bill does not legalize marijuana. I personally do not support federal legalization of marijuana. The, the people in states across this country have spoken, and it's abundantly clear that the status quo is not only untenable, it's very dangerous. The Safe Banking Act is a common-sense bill that can and should pass and would immediately improve the public safety threats we're seeing on the ground in our states. Kat Packer, a former Los Angeles cannabis regulator who now serves as vice chair of CRCC and as director of drug markets and legal regulation at the Drug Policy Alliance, said in written testimony that advocates are encouraged by several new common sense provisions focused on promoting fairness that were incorporated into the latest versions of the bill. Those changes included extending legal protections to community development financial institutions and minority depository institutions that work with marijuana businesses. She said, though, however, more can and should be done to ensure all the communities have the opportunity to benefit from this limited but critical reform. Fortunately, with a few additional minor and technical amendments, the Safe Banking Act could be a significantly improved means to promote fair access to banking for those participating in the hemp and cannabis market. Packer specifically proposed adding language that would ensure the prior marijuana convictions do not trigger automatic red flags for financial accounts that signal possible criminal activity. I could go on and on because this article certainly does. Uh, however, I have in the room with me Don Murphy, the man, the myth, the legend, long-serving Republican lobbyist and Maryland lawmaker who has been working very hard to get cannabis passed for all of us for, I don't even know, 20 years. Uh, Don was in the room yesterday, and I would love to get his opinions on how he thought uh, the safe banking hearing went. Don? Well, unfortunately, in a nutshell, it didn't go as well as I had hoped. Um, and I may say some things about the witnesses that, that you don't like, but let's be honest. This thing has come together over a number of months, a number of years, whatever time period, you, whenever you want to start. But where we are right now is we have a bill that's been drafted, filed, presented at a hearing that 
both sides seem to agree on, the House, the Senate, the Democrats, the Republicans. And we missed an opportunity to have our witnesses walk in and say, yes, I support the Safe Banking Act as written, um, and this is why. Instead, our witnesses were self-serving or took the opportunity to uh, support a bill that's not before us, right? The bill that's before us says a certain number of provisions that have been negotiated and agreed to, but that's not what they want. They want, you know, a dozen or so amendments. And so we didn't look like we knew what we were talking about. We didn't look like we agreed. We didn't look like we, the industry, we, the advocates, we, the entire uh, cannabis world had come together in agreement that safe banking, as was written, uh, was a bill that should pass. And so for those reasons, I think uh, that hearing was a missed opportunity. Did you have concerns at all, Don, that, you know, while it's entitled, uh, you know, to what was the damn title of this thing? It was, um, I'm sorry, this title drives me nuts. Well, it had small uh, business in the examining. Title. Yeah, no, small business and workers. There were no small businesses and there were no workers or, or bankers to talk about a banking bill. Well, we don't want any bankers there because the bankers are, you know, that's, you know, th those those folks are not going to help the cause. Right. Because this this bill is all for the bankers. Right. It's all for the big MSOs in theory. That's the narrative. And that's just not the case. And I'm sure, you know, as well as anyone in your your uh, members there on the panel know the MSOs are doing pretty well on their own, right? They, they've been doing well without safe banking. Would they do better? Perhaps. Uh, but I know a fair number of MSO lobbyists who, you know, they don't care that much about safe banking. Look, I care about safe banking because it, it helps the little guy and it more importantly helps legitimize this industry in a way that it's not perceived to be right now. And it's an incremental reform. Uh, if I were the, the witnesses sitting at the table, I'd have said, uh, I love safe banking. I love the way it's drafted. We need to do more in the future. But for now, let's move this bill as fast as possible, because literally the people are getting killed uh, literally and figuratively in this industry. And we need to move sooner rather than later. Uh, what did you think of the testimony of some of the folks there? I thought the guy from the UFCW, I thought he was pretty good in helping to explain uh, the plight of some of their uh, workers. Um, Look, I, I thought Kevin Sabet was a pain in the ass, as usual. Well, Kevin Sabet has a, a arrogance about him. Uh, he, he started by ch chastising the committee. In some ways, he kind of helped uh, our cause. I think he was maybe our second best advocate up there. <laughs> aside from the, aside from the, the, uh, the sponsors, Danes and Merkley were both excellent. And Danes was, again, excellent from the dais when he was questioning witnesses because he's a member of that committee. Merkley is not. So he had that opportunity. Uh, but the union rep, look, I'm a free market conservative capitalist. And for me to, to I just put out a post about how great he was. And I put a link to his testimony. He was excellent. He explained the plight of the worker, uh, not just in the industry, but like you know, trying to get a loan for a house, trying to rent an apartment, all those things. Uh, he was, uh, I will tell anybody who listens on the house side, get him back. Uh, he, he should be our lead witness next time. Yeah, we need, uh, we need small business at the table. We need patients at the table. Patients were never mentioned. Like patients should not have to buy their medicine 
uh, in cash, never mentioned. The consumer in general was really, I don't think, mentioned, but clearly the, uh, the patient was, was not considered here. And for a, a bill title that includes small business, there were no small business people at the table. And, and they certainly understand better than anyone, advocates or otherwise, uh, the need for this, this legislation. Uh, Don, Don uh, yeah. in, in, in reality, the, the last time say, say, safe banking really got, got this close, we, we had uh, um, Senator Cory Booker grandstand and, and say that he was going to die on this sword on the hill unless there were certain provisions put in place. And we know that those same provisions are not in place in this draft of the bill. Do you anticipate Cory Booker doing, the, or doing this all over again? Uh, no. And, and I'll tell you why. The reason is because two years ago, he could take that position, right? Like Democrats control the House, the Senate and the White House. Like the reason safe didn't pass was because expectations were so much higher than than just safe. Right. Like you don't go for a field goal when you're marching down the field. Like right? you don't like do that before you have to. Uh, when they figured out that they had to, it was sort of too late. And that's why Mitch McConnell and others were maybe able to kill safe because it was now part of some bigger bill and it didn't need to go that way. And they were in a position to kill it. So they did. Uh, and so Democrats got away with blaming Republicans when really uh, it was Democrats who failed to do anything in the two years that they were there. But now, now because Republicans control the House, like, Cory Booker can want that all day long. It's not going to happen. And so we either get a safe bill the way it's drafted or we get nothing. It's just that simple. And I, th I think he knows that. And clearly he has, I think, heard that from his local cannabis industry that is now, you know, growing uh, at a much greater rate than it was two years ago. Right. Like two years ago, it didn't really exist in New Jersey yet. Now it does. And he's I'm sure hearing from those folks loud and clear. Yeah. I hope he is anyway. Hey, Don, thank you so much for uh, for joining us and for your work over the years supporting the industry and fighting for us. Definitely appreciate you and your presence. Um, my question is quick. Um, with uh, Cat Packer and the CRCC, um, uh, were they in lockstep with the rest of the group? Um, how did that pan out? No, it didn't pan out at all. I mean, I think I counted as many as 10 requests for amendments and changes to the bill that was presented. Hmm. That's that that doesn't help, right? That just shows confusion and disarray. And anyone who wanted to slow this thing down can point to that testimony and say, you know, they're just not ready for prime time yet, right? This is not, um, this is not a, a done deal as far as the advocacy world uh, is concerned. What I would have hoped she would have said was, we need this today uh, we need this sooner rather than later. And yes, there are other provisions and things that need to be done in the future, but that's for the future. Uh, but instead, I wasn't quite sure as I was sitting there in the in the peanut gallery whose side she was on. Hmm. I just couldn't tell. And I, I'm pretty certain that DPA and company uh, were involved in the slow walk of this, you know, two years ago. So, you know, all the more reason to sort of think, uh, you know, maybe maybe she wasn't exactly on our side. She was with the, uh, just just to um, uh, respond to that. She wasn't with DPA two years ago. She was actually here in the city of uh, Los Angeles. She wasn't. Uh, well, OK. Um, yeah. I guess my point is 
DPA was slow walking it. She's now representing her DPA was in the title on her, uh, in her testimony. Uh, that's do. So mm. he was sitting up there with Mike Luzuski, who is, you know, no fan of, of capitalism and the MSO crowd. So, well, Don, what do you I, say to folks who would say, if we don't add this stuff all now, we're not getting it later. Cause that's the big social advocates argument. Well, the Senate doesn't close up and like not exist after this, right? Like, Congress goes on and there will be more opportunity to, to make changes in the future. So uh, this is just a first step. This is a long process. Like uh, we're not going to be out of business suddenly because there's nothing to do once we pass a stripped down safe banking bill. Right. Like I believe we just need to, to, to take the win and then live to fight another day. 100% Don, 100%. We need to, Look, the, 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 the cannabis industry needs this to show some level of political astuteness that we are ready for the big leagues and to actually be an industry. And all this infighting and all the comments that you guys shared um, by by other industry leaders that, that are not pro this bill do us, as far as the whole industry, a major disservice, in my opinion. And we're, we're running short on time. Omar, did you want to uh, hit your question quick? Yes, please. Uh, Don, how do you think that introducing patients and small businesses into the discussion would change the tenor of the next hearing? Well, I don't, they are the focus of this, right? Like this should be about patients. Like I've, I've started in this whole cannabis world because of a patient and I've always made patients my focus, right? I always believe that if it's good for the patient, and you go upstream, it should be good for the industry, right? Like, I think patients should be able to walk in with a debit card or credit card and not have to buy their, their medicine in cash, right? So, and that's good for the industry uh, for a whole host of reasons. But the focus needs to be on the little guy because let's be clear, the politics of the big guy, like Congress doesn't need to do anything for the big guy. They need to be looking out for the little guy. And the little guy is the small business the minority business, right? Like if you slow walk safe banking because it doesn't have enough provisions for expungement, I believe in expungement, right? Just because it's the right thing to do. We not have governments collecting billions of dollars in tax revenue and then use that same tax revenue to keep people in jail, mm -hmm. right? That, that is just inconsistent and, and really hypocritical. So I, I cannot stand for that, right? And I am all in on the HOPE Act. But I'm also all in on passing what we we can pass. If the votes aren't there, it's move on and let's go. And we'll focus on that another day and we'll get it another day. Right. But in the meantime, we are we are debating and we are quibbling over who gets the spoils in a post prohibition world while people still sit in prison. Right. And while people are getting killed in the industry, not big C-suite guys. Right. But the frontline guys, those are the folks that are most at risk. And those are the folks that we kind of have to do this for sooner rather than later, instead of getting into this big debate about uh, all the nibbling around the edges, if you will. Not to look, not to diminish the need for all those things, but they're just not priorities like getting the cash out of this business is, as far as I'm concerned. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that, Don. Could not agree with you more. We got to take our wins where we can get them. And uh, and then 
another day and we build momentum, exactly. right? Like, you exactly. know, look, I'm a big fan of the tax dollars that are raised here, right? Because many of those dollars are used for programs I don't support anyway. But I also don't believe that if you want to compete, if you don't want to compete, you are competing with the illicit market. Doesn't pay 280E taxes. They don't pay health care. They don't pay minimum wage. They don't pay a lot of things. And so they are always going to be at a competitive advantage price-wise. And, and people will continue to frequent that market because it's been good to them so far. But new, new consumers, patients, they'd rather go to the legal market where they have a product that is tested and consistent and, and, and they know is not laced with anything impurity, any impurities. Uh, those are the people that we want to we want to attract to begin with, but then we want to peel off the illicit market buyer to the point where the illicit market is not a big threat anymore. And and you don't do that by taxing cannabis at 30%. Just don't do it. Exactly. I totally agree with you on all on all those points, Don, except for I will make one thing is that um, the one market that I don't think patients want to actually shop in is probably New York because of the fact that their weed is about two and a half years old. All right. Well, we're not going down that road, frankly, because we're out of time. Yeah, we're going to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. Thank you. So Don, much. thank you so much. You're welcome to stay around if you want, but feel free to also get on with your day. Thank you. Appreciate you, Don. Wife just walked in the door. She's like, what is he doing over there? So <laughs> and I, Don, I got, Don, your hair, looks, I got, your hair looks phenomenal. Uh, forget, what, forget what Gretchen is talking about. <laughs> just make oh, sure you tell your wife, Don, that it's high noon on the East Coast. Yes. Yes, it is. Thank you. Oh, yeah. You know what time it is. That's right. It's Tuesday over here at Green Street, and we got Smoky Vanilla with us in the building. So that's right. It is time to stretch and smoke. We just got done smoking. Now we're going to stretch it out, and then we're going to smoke again. Let's go. I'm Smoky Vanilla with my background in kinesiology and bodywork massage and assisted stretching. You got to come check it out, baby. Check me out on IG at Smoky Vanilla One Stretch and Smoke, Twitter Smoky Vanilla, Social Club Stretch and Smoke, or also on Sports Recovery by Dan and Jam. If you want to feel as good as I look, then make sure that you get a stretch and smoke in with Smoky Vanilla. Yeet! You with us, Rico? You want to go next, Rico? But next, you gotta give me the intro. Oh yeah, that's right. It's the dope dad himself who finally got his background together, has came out of the swampland, and has taken care of little baby Yoda. That's right. It's the dope dad himself, Rico Lamit. <laughs> I see what you did there, Jason. It's Grogu, damn it! It's baby Yoda. Shout out to all my Star Wars peeps out there. All right, so, uh, but thank you. And my story is coming out of the Empire State once again, home of what many are calling the current trap capital of the world, New York City. And if you've been tuned into the show over the last few weeks, you've probably heard Jason and I repeatedly asking what the hell ever happened to that $150 million fund that was supposed to be propping up Kathy Hochul's push to move social equity operators to the front of the line with New York licensing. MSOs, were threatening to sue for their chance to cut the line in lieu of the delays everyone but New York regulators expected 
from the beginning. And per my story yesterday, it seemed like Hochul was beginning to crack uh, with the news of existing MSOs operating in the medical space, possibly being permitted to convert to adult use by the end of the year. Well, According to Syracuse.com, New York's largest cannabis industry group is escalating a call for swift action in light of the problematic rollout of the state's legal cannabis market. CANY, the Cannabis Association of New York, came out to say it fully supports and shares concerns of licensed retailers who recently declared an alarming and unacceptable lack of communication and transparency in alleging a potential conflict for a key regulator. Earlier this week, a group of card conditional Adult use retail dispensary licensees, uh, sent a, licensees sent a letter to the OCM, o- Office of Cannabis Management, the DASNY, Dormitory uh, Authority of State of New York, and a rep for Governor Holchel expressing their collective frustration and disappointment with the process of obtaining compliant real estate. The letter was mostly aimed at DASNY and its absentee social equity cannabis investment fund, supposedly designed to provide funding for the identification, leasing, and build-outs of 150 card sites across the state. It was to be overseen by DASNY and managed by former NBA star Chris Weber's Social Equity Impact Ventures, but failed to raise money since its inception. The card authors, seven card licensees, the Long Island uh, Card Coalition, and several others who signed anonymously asked for a meeting within the next two weeks with representatives from OCM, DASNY, and the OCB to address these issues. The letter read, It appears as though we were once again asked to participate in a market that is fundamentally inequitable and counteractive to the uh, purpose of the very initiative the government launched. For the article, a spokesperson for DASNY Wednesday said the agency and the OCM are committed to providing every licensee in the state of New York the opportunity to succeed through mentorship and support and look forward to meeting with the authors to address their concerns. Both the OCM and governor's office previously declined to comment and deferred NY Cannabis Insider to DASNY's statement. CANY composed of hundreds of the state's cannabis farmers, processors, retailers, and others sent their letter to support of support late Thursday morning uh, during a CCB board member uh, meeting, board member meeting to the following: CCB Chairwoman Tremaine Ro- Tremaine Wright, OCM Executive Director Chris Alexander, and Chief Equity Officer Damian Fagon, uh, DASNY President and CCC, CCB member Ruben McDaniel, Governor Kathy Hochul's office, NYS uh, Assemblywoman Crystal People Stokes, and uh, NYS uh, Senators. New York State uh, Senators Michelle Hinchy and Jeremy Cooney, and also to the Office of New York State Comptroller and uh, about the card group's letter sent Wednesday. Dan Livingston, CNY's executive director, said that it was actually a lot softer, softer than the voices he's been hearing from the card community. And he thinks that there's maybe a misconception about cards uh, that they're not as serious uh, of business people, but any serious business person who's been put in the same position would react the same way. The letter also notably, also, also notably, oh my words today, uh, took aim at the CCB member and president of DASNY, Ruben McDaniel, for alleged conflicts of interests. We believe it is a conflict of interest for the executive director of DASNY to hold a seat at the Cannabis Control Board given the director business involvement of DASNY with the CARD program. NY Insider reported that McDaniel's dual role has been an openly debated topic among stakeholders, though the CCB never discussed the issue publicly. 
Livingston said that they want to see the CCB reconcile that in a meeting and address the elephant in the room. And that CANY is not telling the OCM what to do, but said that since the agency has extensive conversations about reconciling conflicts in, of interest in the industry that they're overseeing, if they are going to be saying or, or if they're going to have Ruben step out of the room to address conflicts of interest, he doesn't know if that squares with what folks on the card side are seeing. And that's not all. Screenshots provided to NY Cannabis Insider allegedly showed McDaniel has been blocking all of the emails coming from CANY members as the association attempted to send him communications from four separate CANY.org accounts only to receive message blocked as a response for each attempt. Wild times indeed for New York Cannabis and at least I can say that I'm not surprised. I'm sure Jason is the same. But we'll be watching and reporting on this story as it continues to unfold. I'm interested in hearing New York uh, um, 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 lawyer that we have on our team today to talk about this one. This is Rico Lamit, Dope is that on the street. What do you think, Omar? Yes. And just to clarify, I'm not admitted in New York, but I do have a law firm and uh, we have a, a New York lawyers. Um, and so I think... You know, the situation in New York is extremely challenging uh, for the reasons that you mentioned. DASNY, which is the dormitory authority for the state of New York, um, had promised these card uh, winners that they would be provided with ready-to-go uh, real estate, that they would have a, a storefront location provided to them by the state. And this has not happened. They never raised the $200 million that they were supposed to raise to make it all happen. And so I think the state of New York needs to find, you know, there's lots of financiers in New York State. They need to find somebody else to raise that money. It is doable. But until they start dealing with that fundamental problem, which they promised to set everybody up with a storefront and have not done that, there's going to be that huge discontent. And the letter was quite diplomatic. It did not contain any Bronx cheers, but certainly that's what's being said outside in the streets. Uh, Omar, I got a question for you. Um, could the state of New York sue Chris Weber and these guys not providing what they said they would do? Yes, but it would be kind of suing itself. I think they would, all they got to do is like provide, you know, some right. sort of like political pressure on these people to do their job. Why yeah. are they still tasked with the job after dropping the ball for so many months? You know, but I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't understand how they're suing themselves because they would be going after Chris Weber's company who said they could raise this money and they, they vetted are, them. They vouched for them. And I don't care. I mean, connected. legally, they should they should go after them or just replace them. Get them out of the way. You know, if the guy's sitting on the ball, then kick him off the ball and pick up the ball. Yeah, I think they're going to see way more conflicts of interest if they allow that to happen, uh, Gretchen. <laughs> oh man, it's sticky hold on, hold on. real quick. So hold on. Was, I, was this letter only signed by four people because there's only four stores open? <laughs> I think it's like a, a, a group of, of them who are, you know, like several groups. Uh, and people who, some of them, they don't, they don't want to come forward because they're afraid of retaliation. How, how would the ones that aren't open have the right to do it? Because they're not even, they're not even open, so they can't say that they're being affected. Well, they, they were issued the card license. They're issued licenses. They yeah, there are tons of licenses that have been issued. Not, 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 uh, what, what, what are they not, called? Because the occupants. Not social, yeah, not social equity either. Mm. Um, and, and, and one more, and one more thing there is, um, just follow the money. 
Like, why don't they make the, the MSOs are knocking at the door. Why don't they make them pay for these, uh, for these retail, uh, uh, for these retail locations? They okay, want to even, even Salem's <laughs> like, that's some bullshit, Rico. You're out your damn make mind. Make them pay for it. You know? <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> they got the cash. That even it seems like Kathy Hochelin crew don't. I, I wish you could see this eye roll from DC. You're just out your mind. <laughs> Socialism. We, we 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 can't see it, Gretchen, because you have an amazing camera on you. And that's what and that's what I would call socialist equity, right, Jason? It's all socialist equity. One hundred percent, one hundred and fifty percent. New York, such a joke. Oh, okay. One more question for Omar, and I know how you're saying to move along from Chris Webber. Got it. Love it. Is there any legal reason that they couldn't move on? Is there a reason they haven't? Could you think of a reason why they may no. not have not ditched no, I can't him yet? think of a legal reason why, why they can't like sue them for breach of contract after promising and failing to deliver. Absolutely, they could. I think it's politics, you know? And usually when you have these political questions in front of the courts, the courts will try to like uh, find some way from to abstain from making ruling on a political question. They'll toss it back to the uh, politicians. All right. All right. All right. Next. Yep. Yep. There we go. Good girl, Kathy Hocha. Won't she ask you some questions? She's very silent about this fun. And we, me and Jason been calling it every time New York was in the news. questions, and not to mention, she doesn't even support small cannabis businesses by even buying a souvenir mug or T-shirt. Buy a T-shirt, buy a grinder, buy something. Yeah, I don't know, photo man. op and just charges for her picture, but doesn't even spend anything in the business. We need to get Gretchen a T-shirt that says, Kathy Hochul is my homegirl. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm with her. <laughs> that was good. We're going to go to halftime. No, 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 no. We're going to go to me, and then we're going to go to halftime. we got to keep it. Let's keep it rolling. Y'all know who it is. Coming up next, the industry's longest continuously operating retailer and also supporter of that blasphemous person that was on stage that CNN somehow gave the mic to the other night. Y'all know it's Jason Beck. And first off, I do want to say that it was probably the most rating CNN has had in the last three years. And it was fantastic to watch. And I encourage you all to check it out because CNN, I, wonder, I wonder why they, they just they're trying to turn themselves into Fox News. CNN needs your help. But also, too, I do have a special message. We do want to send a very, very happy birthday to the top G out there, Braxton. It is his 13th birthday today. And we want to wish him a very, very, very happy day today. But today. Yeah. You know who's not having a good day today? It's the people yeah. in my story. The new citizens of New Hampshire, because the New Hampshire State Senate again rejects a marijuana legalization bill. That's right. Legalized marijuana has once again been rejected by the New Hampshire State Senate on a 14 to 10 vote Thursday. Senators shot down the House bill that would have made cannabis legal for adult use in the Granite State. 13 Republicans and one Democrat voted against the House legalization bill, making the case that New Hampshire should not accept a life with marijuana smoke wafting through the air in public places. <laughs> Anyone could smoke marijuana in a place like just outside this building, and we'd be smelling it right now because if you're 20 feet away from a building, you're allowed to smoke in public under this bill, said uh, State Senator Bill Gannon, Republican from Sandown. 
Nine Democrats and one Republican called for the Senate to respect the will of the majority of the Granite uh, Staters who polls show support legalization and to bring an end to what they contend is a failed policy. Continuing to criminalize the sale of cannabis perpetuates the failed war on drugs, a war we know was caused has caused irreparable harm and irreversible harm to generations of our marginalized communities, said State Senator Becky Whitley, Democrat from Hopkinton. In a a notable shift, Senate Democrat leader Donna Saucy, long long an an an, an opponent of cannabis legalization, changed her position and did not vote to kill the bill. In a quote, she says, I dare say we are not recognizing the reality of what's currently happening in our state, Saucy said. The Democrat who voted to kill the legalization was Senator Lou D. Alessandro, Democrat from Manchester, and the Republican who supported the bill was Senator Keith Murphy, Republican from Manchester. Some key members of the House, such as Republican Majority Leader Jason Osborne, have said that the negative result could sour relations between the two bodies, affecting other bills and even negotiations on other on, over the state budget. But for too many senators, cannabis legalization is a bridge too far, and they believe the harms outweigh the benefits. No amount of revenue we could earn here in the state of New Hampshire based on illegal drugs is worth it, said State Senator Carrie Jenadrew, Republican from Littleton. Well, New Hampshire, you're not going to have legal weed, but you know what? Who cares? Because I'm willing to bet you don't have a lot of enforcement out there, and you could probably just smoke out there and not get caught anyway. So just toke up and smoke up and this is jason beck reporting for the high at nine news hour what do y'all think i think for a state whose state motto is live free or die right zero freedom i guess they're just gonna have some genocide going on in new hampshire i totally agree with you on that uh omar that is a hundred percent reality the the motto is live free or die and they are not allowing their citizens to live free and they so they technically are forcing them to die Well, the one thing that drives me nuts, and Omar, you're hitting the nail on the head, is the hypocrisy of so many lawmakers who love to scream about states' rights and freedom and all this jazz, but they ain't got no freedom for cannabis. I mean, I I just don't understand what the problem is. Um, I do think if perhaps somebody who wrote this bill knew that uh, smoking 20 feet from a building was an issue for these guys. They should have been like, all right, we'll take that provision out to get things passed. Uh, yeah. People need to also be willing to compromise, though, when these things come about, especially if you are facing opposition. Um, a good bill is a bill where not everybody's happy. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. Um, and we need to also get on board with that. I feel bad for New Hampshire, but then again, how many people live in New Hampshire? I, I'm like Jason said, I think you can get away with smoke and I don't think anyone's going to notice because it's kind of small. We need to bring back oh, old Hampshire. No, that they're Gret- all living on a side of a mountain. Gretchen agreed huh? with me. Just noticed that Gretchen agreed with me. I barely, this was not even like a real agreement. This uh, was like, let's you tell it. Let's you tell half it. of my heart. Mm-hmm. Not even, no, we'll go with a quarter mm-hmm. of the heart. I say bring back old, bring back old Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're behind schedule. We're going to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. Do it. Keeping up to date on the evolving policies of relevant state, local, and federal governments is key to success. When the future of your business is at stake, you need representation as dedicated as you are. 
With a maze of laws and regulations surrounding cannabis, hemp, and psychedelics, knowing where to begin can be a challenge. Good thing the law offices of Omar Figueroa features a skilled, highly focused team ready to guide you through it all. They're accepting new clients in California and New York. So make sure you check them out at info at omarfigueroa.com. Whatever you are doing right now, make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Make sure you support the show in that way. Also, too, thank you to all of our super chatters out there. We appreciate that. And if you want us to pay attention to your comments, that is the best way to do it is to make it a super chat. Also, too, make sure you head over to our website, www.hyatt9news.com. Check out our lovely merchandise so you can be as fly and as fresh as the people here on the show as well as sign up for our newsletter. And if you do, when you do sign up for our newsletter, you will get a confirmation email and it may just go into your spam box and it may just go into your uh, your inbox. But make sure you check both and you hit confirm on whichever one it goes into because without that, you will not be subscribed. Control Tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The Control Tower from Highly Educated. It's OG Industry Doctors, the founder of Medican and co-founder of CESC. He's probably written more wrecks than Oedipus. Up next, y'all know who it is, Dr. Jean Talleyrand. Thanks, Nico. Uh, happy Friday, everyone. Uh, I didn't know Oedipus wrote wrecks, but my story today is, is about a study out of Australia published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Open Network. Uh, some of us may recall the Just Say No campaign that started in 1984, uh, merging right across the bay from where I'm sitting at Oakland, California's Longfellow Elementary School. Nancy Reagan was talking to the children at the school, trying to convince them that street drugs, including cannabis, was bad. She then traveled to drug rehab centers, wrote guest articles, and appeared on numerous talk shows advising that we should all just say no. Of course, she wasn't including pharmaceutical drugs. Fast forward 40 years, many of the children from the Oakland's elementary school are now middle-aged adults. After heart disease and cancer, prescription drugs are the third leading cause of death in the US and Europe. And on the other hand, medical cannabis programs have increased four and a half uh, fold from 2016 to 2020. Maybe we've learned not to listen to politicians when it comes to our health and wellness. Most research on medical cannabis is focused on specific symptoms like pain and sleep or how it lowers the use of opioid prescriptions. This study focuses on quality of life. 3,148 patients with the average age of 56 uh, participated in this study. They were all kids during the Just Say No years. They are now patients approved to use cannabis products of various types by health professionals from medical cannabis specialty clinics. The patients in the study were evaluated up to 15 times over a four-year period. Most of them were using cannabis for chronic pain, anxiety, or sleep. 
because of the lack of clinical trials, it's difficult to claim that a cannabis formulation or active ingredient treats a specific medical condition. It's what we call in our research group, the many-to-many -many problem. There are many available products being used for a wide variety of conditions. So we rely on these broad, generalized studies simply asking patients about their quality of life. This study ju does just that. The study uses a 36-item short-form health survey with eight distinct scales, including questions on physical activity, mental health, social activity, vitality, pain, and general health perception of, general perception of health. Scores range from zero to 100, where a 10-point change is con considered clinically significant. This study showed improvements in the scales from baseline ranging from 6.6 .6 to 18.31. Most of the participants were ingesting capsules with very few smoking flour. The mean CBD dose was 72 milligrams per day, staying relatively the same throughout the four years, whereas the mean THC dose increased from 6.5 to 25.8 um, per day. By the end of the study, only two serious adverse events were noted. The study is consistent with similar observational studies, but the effects of cannabis in the study are greater than what you might see in a randomized clinical trial. It suggests that patients are continuing to use medical cannabis because the benefits uh, exceed the harms. Nancy Reagan died on March 6, 2016, a couple of years before this study was initiated. Would she have said yes to cannabis if she were still alive? The lesson is that actresses, politicians, and government regulators are not always the best resource for improving quality of life. For cannabis, it seems the best resource is to ask the community. And maybe the best advice is to just say yes. This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand for Hyatt 9 News. Yes, indeed, Dr. T. Thank you for that one. Yes. Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of people about this, um, this Just Say No campaign. And, you know, one thing that a lot of conservatives said is, you know, there's a lot worse things that they could have said in regards to Just Say No. They could have said things along of don't uh, don't touch it. Um, in, 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 in far, in, mainly, what I'm trying to say is far, far more extreme than just, than just say no to drugs. And so uh, I wonder, is that something that we should consider in all this, Dr. T? Well, you know, in light of a lot of what we've been hearing today, um, getting picky about the words or what the legislation is, I think the problem is that we're trying to normalize something that's been um, ostracized, you know, mm -hmm. for quite a long time. And being positive about it is really what we we need to send a message um, and the message just need to be positive. It's not a bad substance. It's not going to kill you or harm you if somebody's smoking 20 feet away from you. Um, you know, whether uh, uh, you're charging too much at a, in a, in a, uh, for a banking or, or charging the wrong people uh, or who's to pay for what we've got to learn to be cooperative rather than competitive in this field or else we'll never, make it um, by being cooperative we're going to we're going to take it we're going to get this normalized 
I mean, uh, just just by that, by making it more cooperative, uh, kind of means we need to bring the medicine back into the conversation because during that is when we were all operating uh, as cooperatives, Doctor T. I remember the days, you know, two fifteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, th- those were the days. Now, uh, and so you know, maybe uh, uh, states like New Hampshire uh, and Oklahoma who are shooting down legalization are doing it because they want to stay cooperative rather than competitive. Very, very true. There's no need for no revisionist history, Jason. Um, the Just Say No campaign was very, very, very detrimental to everything that we have worked for. So I'm, I'm never going to ease up on that battle. I agree, Rico. It was a negative message. No bueno. Could have been worse. It was bad enough. Millions of people died because of it. I'm sure a lot of people spend a lot of time in jail because of it, too. A hundred percent. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. You have any comments on this, Omar? Any thoughts? Sorry. Okay. No prayers. All right. All right. Coming up next. That's right. It is the attorney. What? Oh, we have a commercial. Sorry. We have a commercial. We're going to be right back. I apologize. Thank you so much for that, Dr. How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. Oh, yes. Coming up next. That's right. He has disappeared. And look, that is back again. He thinks he's trying to be Houdini, but he's really just a lawyer. But you may call him Houdini if he won your case in court. That's right. It is the man with law practices here in California as well as in New York. Or he has other lawyers that work for him in New York, apparently. He just he just tells them what to do. Lawyers, lawyers. Yeah, they're not paralegals. They actually are real lawyers, so they can represent you in court. That's right. And also, too, make sure you check out his book, the 2023 Cannabis Laws and Regulation Book that you can find everywhere. You can purchase books wherever that is in the world. That's right. It is Mr. Omar Figueroa. Thank you, Jason. Happy Friday, everyone. My story is from the Eureka Times Standard by Sage Alexander. The headline is, Study to Trace Cannabis Lineage, Preserve Oral History of Legacy Cultivators. Cal Poly Humboldt, formerly known as Humboldt State University, is part of a new study that will research cannabis across the state. The interdisciplinary study aims to preserve oral histories and the legacy genetics of cannabis farmers, including those in Humboldt County. One of the principal investigators is Dr. Dominic Corva, a cannabis studies program director at Cal Poly Humboldt. The study will start this year, coinciding with the launch of the university's cannabis studies program. Corva said Humboldt is the latest in the last 10,000 years of history in terms of places that have become synonymous with the plant. Corbett said the most central important part of the study is the community-based participatory research. Legacy cultivation communities will decide where herbariums, traditional plant libraries that store genetics and seeds will be built and communities will take part in how they will preserve their genetics. They get to own the process in so many ways, 
Us researchers are servants in the process, he said. Corva said much of the work the researchers are studying is already being done. And this study will loop together a lot of things that people have been doing in the private sector or informally for a long time. He said the study will also help cultivators establish a place in the market, something especially relevant for federal legalization, state-to-state commerce, and global marketing. There's a desperate need, he said, when asked about the urgency of preservation of the information. There are lines that have been around for a long time, and the people cultivating them need to stay in business, he said. He said legacy genetics is far-reaching, including uh, intergenerational lines, strains from 10 years ago, and plants that sustain people through prohibition. The study will also establish collective intellectual property protection for their genetics through the herbariums. There will be genetic mapping that goes along with the study to identify characteristics of different plant lines. He said his job as a political geographer is to synthesize a narrative about California, the legacy communities and their genetics, and how they were impacted by cannabis criminalization. He said the Cannabis Equity Policy Council is involved, a nonprofit that will tie in narratives of black and brown communities in other parts of the state. The oral history will be collected in video format. The other principal investigators include Todd Holmes, a historian at the Oral History Center at UC Berkeley, Janine Coleman, executive director of the Origins Council, Rachel Garado, anthropology professor at CSU Northridge, and Eleanor Kuntz of Leaf Forks, a, co- a cannabis and hemp genetic testing company. Corvus said he is deeply humbled and grateful for his team members. The actual challenge is to really be of service to the people who you're researching, especially because of how much pain they've been in the last few years, he said. The study will last two years and is funded by the California Department of Cannabis Control for $2.7 million. Corbin noted that no other Department of Cannabis Control is undertaking what California is doing. He said, the DCC is interested in creating a California product the same way that France has special French wines as part of a long-term approach to preserving history. Students in the Cannabis Studies Program, which launches this fall, will participate by looking through archives, taking notes, organizing data, and more. A news release from the university said research outputs will include the herbariums, genomics data, a database of 90 oral history videos, and a series of educational webinars and publications. The press release also states that 15 other academic institutions receive funding for cannabis-related research. The headlines is, Study to Trace Cannabis Lineage, Preserve Oral History of Legacy Cultivators. And my take is that this is important and difficult work, the anthropology of surreptitious human activity. If you or anyone you know would like to share your part in cannabis history with Dr. Corva, please reach out to him via email at dc285 uh, at humboldt.edu. This is Omar Figueroa, lawyer, publisher, and Ganjie instructor, reporting from Sonoma County, California, the traditional territory of the Pomo, Miwok, and Wapo nations for High at Nine, High Noon Eastern. See you at the Emerald Cup Awards tomorrow. 
yeah. Omar, tomorrow. Omar, what do you have to say to the people that are a they're saying that this study is just gonna be another bait and switch? Well, I think you know, the study will either be documenting the downfall of like, you know, the legacy cannabis industry, or maybe like the law in the industry, you know, right before uh, things opened up. I think the next few history is not yet written. We can still change the future. You know, it's not like, I, I don't really believe that it's impossible that we're locked into, you know, uh, a negative cycle for the legacy cannabis community. I think that um, this is an inflection point for sure. Hold on. Do you think do you think a majority of this money is going to end up uh, going and restarting uh, Phylos? Just injection no. into Phylos because they have everyone's genetics anyway. Uh, I don't know whatever happened to that Phylos. You know, this, 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 this could be their seed restart their company again right here, Omar. Um, you know, I think there is a need to document the existing genetics. Because there's so much cannabis genetics that are part of the public domain that people are trying to patent and claim for themselves. Mm -hmm. and, that, and the only reason they're doing it is because these legacy genetics were never really properly cataloged as part of the public domain. And so I think it is important to document the genetics so that we don't have all these biotech institutes trying to claim parts of the cannabis genome that they did not develop, that others did the hard work of developing. Question, Dr. Talleyrand. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I can. Go ahead, Jason. I I wanted to ask you a question, so I definitely want to hear what you, what you say. But 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 on top of, do you think this is enough money to actually do something like this? Well, you know, research always needs more money, uh, but it's a start. But uh, you know, just to support what Omar uh, uh, was saying, this is it's cannabis is more than genetics. There are epigenetic factors that influence it. And what our research has been showing is that we are actually losing certain types mm. of plants. Um, over the past seven years, we saw, we've saw seen a decrease in the, um, the alpha-pinene myrcene uh, branch of, of cannabis products that were there. And who knows how much uh, we've lost in the past, but the industry is not preserving these important uh, lineages. Um, and this will look at the genetics, it will look at the oral history. It's really important so that we keep certain types. The types that we're losing are important for patients. Uh, this type that we're losing may be the best type for people with ADHD. So, um, so this study is very important. Pour more money into it is what I say. But but do you think two point seven is enough for them to actually to, to to do something and study this and like like come with some real results? Not in California. That's what I'm. That's my thought, Omar. But I want to hear what the doctor thinks because he he deals with more funding and research than than I do. No, we don't get any funding, and we found that. So you know, uh, any money is going to help. We're we're doing it all on sweat equity, and we're finding out these things. So you know. Give me a couple of bucks and I'll show you my I'll show you my results. Um, and it's important for the industry. So yeah, send, uh, send us send us a send send Dr. Talleyrand a super chat. Okay, we will earmark it for Dr. Talleyrand for research and just ju just mention that in your super chat. Oh, so super. 
Oh man. Um, but you're you you are right, Dr. Talleyrand, that that um the 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 loss of a number of these different strains. I think a lot of that is because of legalization and the fact that uh, a lot of those strains take longer periods of time to exactly. to, come to, to come to harvest exactly, yeah. and so therefore most people aren't cultivating those because of the turnaround time and the fact that they can get an extra harvest in a year for their balance sheet is the reason that these genetics are being xed out of the game. Sure. Again, yeah, we're being competitive instead of cooperative, and we're losing it. Uh, mm. so we need to act fast to turn around. And I think this study is, is acting that way. Very and cool. I think eventually the market's going to come around and people are going to be developing a taste for like these alpha pining strains that are super high energy and creative. And you can do use during the day uh, for creatives. Uh, so I think that just like with beer, you know, people were stuck on Bud Light for decades mm -hmm. until they rediscovered craft beer. I think the same thing's going to happen with cannabis, but at an accelerated pace. I know no one's drinking Bud Light anymore, huh, Omar? I, I hear you on that, Omar, but... Yeah, I was going to say, is that really feasible? Toss up that bait to Jason. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, like, there's going to be connoisseur cannabis that with the long flowering periods because there are, like, some, you know, for example, strains that take, like, four months, you know, to uh, flower. No, I get that, but because of the whole state to state markets and people not having access to these things. I mean, do you really expect to see this at any accelerated pace? I, I do compared to the way, you know, that the beer craft evolution happened, you know, it took decades. Yeah, but beer for can go across beer. state lines. Yeah. In okay. theory. Good. I, well, cannabis has been going across state lines for a I get it. But I mean, isn't that the, one of the biggest, complaints is that you know blue dream in this place is not blue dream in another place so I mean, true. that comes from that comes from how the is this even going to be possible that's, that's all from the different suppliers gretchen that has nothing i understand it comes from different suppliers jason i'm just saying they no. say you come up with some wonderful strain that you know like omar's talking about with the energy and that what people are going to want you, you know, some it. other idiots just gonna market it and say that's what it is, and oh, it's not. Right. Well, and then people are. Great question, Gretchen, because I think it's an issue of trademark, you know, and branding, mm -hmm. and people are gonna have to register the, their trademarks. Um, you know, so strain names are not trademarkable. So people right. will come up with an unsexy name for the strain and a sexy name for the trademark, just like pharmaceutical companies come up with an unsexy name for the generic drug, which actually describes the medicine. And then a sexy name for the trademark. You know, the only way that that's actually going to work, Omar, is if they actually trademark their SOPs for cultivating that in particular plant so it comes out that exact certain way every single time with that exact same genetic. Other than that, no one's going to be able to do none of this. And if you read some of these patent applications, they're putting in their SOPs into the patent application. Yep, mm -hmm. they, they, they better be or else they're going to be screwed. SOBs and SOPs, you be the judge. But uh, we are done for the day. Oh, hold and, on, Rico. One, one, one quick thing. One quick thing. Let yes. me just because because we do do six stories a day. I do have a headline. I want everybody. Gotta hurry up. I got about. We, we got to go. At time, brother. We are at time. Just, just reading the headline. I'm just reading the headline. Go over to the website. Check it out because Columbia, once epicenter, once the epicenter of drug battles, considers legalizing cannabis. So head on over to our website and check out the article and see what's happening in Colombia. Go ahead, Rico. Go ahead and hang on that cliff, baby. Yeah. <laughs>
Thank you all out there for tuning in for yet another episode of High at Nine News. You can always catch us weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our super fans showing love and getting their thoughts and comments projected on the big screen. Our live audience members and online supporters across all platforms tuning in and giving us the feedback on the daily heads, uh, headlines of chaos. Our vetted correspondent team tuning in from all over, bringing us much needed variety and perspective to the conversation. To our production team, Cloud Media Partners, House of Fuego, and the wonderful Jaja Simone holding things down over on Clubhouse. Nothing but love all out to you haters. Make sure you become a super fan. You get your hatred on the big screen, too. Always Cannabis Sativa L. You're the reason why we show up. It is Friday, May 12th, 2023. Show's over. Hope you have been blessed with today's top industry headlines also for the week. And big shout out to the mamas out there celebrating Mother's Day this Sunday. Gretchen, I'm feeling that big Gretchen energy energy today. Coming through with the bangs, too. What you got for us, man? You going to take us out? Pass safe banking. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to all.